It recently occurred to me that I think in more than 30 years of ministry, I have never taught a full series of messages on the subject of heaven. That there's been a message here and a message there, but I have no recollection of ever having taught an entire series on the subject of heaven. And it struck me how odd that is since we're fixing to spend eternity there. And it struck me that most of us study to know more about where we're going on our next vacation, where we'll be for a week or two if we're blessed, than we do about the destination where we will absolutely spend eternity. And it struck me that it would please the Lord for us to spend some time over several weeks just talking about heaven. I suppose every culture has some concept of heaven, from nirvana to the happy hunting ground or whatever. Everybody, every culture thinks about what happens after the last heartbeat comes. Is there something more? You know, this just proves true what God said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And eternity, the concept of eternity, the sense of eternity, the weight of eternity lives in every person's heart, doesn't it? Irrespective of their beliefs about heaven, the concept of an endless reality lives in the heart of every person. And it's part of what separates us, apparently, from the rest of the animal kingdom. It's how God has created us. So there's a fair amount of folklore about heaven and about what it'll be like and what we will be doing. And none of it seems particularly exciting to me, to be honest with you. Uh, Growing up in an agnostic home, I was kind of left to my own devices to figure out this stirring about God and matters of eternity that I clearly had even as a child growing up. Maybe you did too. And I remember what I, what I remember as a big book full of, I think, Courier and Ives pictures. And there was this and there was that and there were these paintings and there was one section about about God and a picture about heaven and my memory has it that uh, there were just lots of people like sitting around on clouds and uh, playing they had instruments in their hands and they they were kind of sitting there with this really bored kind of look on their face do you, do you know these kinds of pictures that I'm talking about? Some of them are kind of reaching out to each other. And, and, and I always, a couple of things about that whole thing struck me about heaven. One is how they were dressed because it, some of them, some of the pictures they had wings, you know, and they were sort of angelic. And in other pictures they didn't, but they were, they were all dressed with sort of like sheets, just sort of lying, laying across them to cover up all the spots that needed to be covered up, covered up, you know. And, and it struck me that if I was going to dress that way forever, 
that it was, it was going to take some getting used to. I mean, just walking around with the thing and stuff, you know? But the other thing that struck me about every picture of heaven that I saw was that everyone was white. Every single person. And I don't mean white. I mean like milky white, you know? Like sick white, like pale white. And this was through the eyes of the artists that I grew up and this was the concept of heaven. Now, keep in mind, I'm growing up as a child in the suburbs of Los Angeles and everybody wasn't white. And my parents, among all the things that they may not have done very well, one of the things that they taught me from a very early age is, Tom, color does not matter. And so it just struck me that I I was wondering where all these other people were going to go when they died. Because apparently you had to be white to get into heaven. And so it was really a you know, a deficient kind of model for heaven, wasn't it? <laughs> Did you, can anybody relate to any of that? Is it just me? Seven of you? Okay. And then, you know, after meeting Jesus in my life many years ago now, I and being introduced to the value and the power of the living Bible, the living Word of God, I saw that God had a lot to say about heaven and about the destination of those who trust in Christ. And it practically had nothing to do with the pictures. And I realized that any concept of heaven starts as a matter of faith. That it's a faith-based reality. So there's nothing that I could say to anybody here today who goes, oh, I don't know about heaven. Oh, out of heaven, shmeaven. There's nothing that I could say kind of from a logical, empirical standpoint that would say, well, there you go. What are you going to do about that? There's nothing. I got nothing. Because it starts as a decision of faith. A decision of faith that Jesus is who he said he is, and so therefore the words that he said are true. And this starts as a decision of faith. In order to embrace the reality of heaven, to have the assurance of heaven, it all begins as a decision of faith. But listen, just because it's a decision of faith doesn't mean, it's, doesn't mean that it's not grounded in reality. We make decisions of faith every single day that are grounded in reality, and yet they're decisions of faith. You want an example? Say, yeah, I'll start again. Think about driving through a signaled intersection. And you come up and the light is green. What do you do? You go right through. Why do you go through? This is an intersection. This is a place where heavy metal vehicles, not heavy metal, but heavy metal vehicles are coming the other way, perpendicular to you at massive speeds. A collision, two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. A collision would be catastrophic, yes. Potentially deadly. And yet you fly through there, hey. Why? Because the light's green. And you're having real faith in a couple of things. One, that if your light is green, that on that thing, though you can't see it, 
you are living faithfully under the assumption that what? The other lights are red. You don't stop to question it, but it's a faith decision. I mean, how many of you stop at a green light and kind of get out and go, all right. It's a faith decision. But you're also having faith not only in that light, but in what? The people coming the other way. You're having faith that they know what a red light means and that they have the sensibility to stop. You're having faith every intersection in the sensibility of man. Think about that. I know. So I come along and say, the matter of heaven begins as an issue of faith. Doesn't mean it begins in the imagination. But it begins as a matter of faith in something Faith in the reality that Jesus Christ came as the Son of God, God in the flesh, was who he said he was, has demonstrated that to us, and that's an act of our faith. And we make that decision of faith based in the grounded reality of Jesus Christ and who he was, and hence who he is. And if we have that act of faith, then everything he said was true. And it begins there. So I'm not going to be able to persuade anybody who wants some kind of a logical argument for heaven. We have to start at this place, this agreement that Jesus is who he says he was. And I'm going to be focusing on the destinational aspects. That's really not a word, according to my spell check. But, uh, you know, there's a lot that can be said about heaven and the experience of certain dimensions of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And we're all about that, yeah? Yeah? You're going to see some of that in a little bit, I believe. I think you already did. Those of you who are falling into that worship zone, the kingdom of heaven can be experienced now. But what I, want to, what I want to focus on in these four weeks are questions that talk about the destination, where we're going after this. When the heart beats for the last time, what happens next? With four questions today, I'd like to start with, is there really a heaven? I mean, come on. Seriously, Tom? Are you really going with that, that when the, when the last heartbeat comes, that some essential part of us, some conscious part of us, moves to some other dimension of reality to experience the, the paradise of God for eternity? Are you, are you really saying that? Well, it might surprise you to know that my answer is not yes. My answer is absolutely Yes. I believe without a doubt that there is a heaven after this. I believe without hesitation that it is appointed unto every person once to die, and after that the judgment, and then something eternal happens with the consciousness of that person forever. There's no hesitation in answering that question that way. How can you know for sure, Tom? Ask me. Well, first, because Jesus said so. <laughs> That's pretty big in my world. John chapter 14, if you have a Bible, John, look for the big 14 and then the, the little dots, and then which is a colon, and then the, we'll start in verse 1, which is the verse number, John 14, verse 1. I don't think I have that stuff this week, sorry, just the references. But I'll read them to you, so if you don't have a Bible... 
So this is Jesus talking. And he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, chill. Don't worry about this. I know he, and so he's approaching this saying, I know you're worried about something, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. He says, believe also in me. He says, because I'm God. <laughs> so when you believe in Jesus, you're believing in God because Jesus is God. Good. Very good. You got it. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. (laughs) Those are the words of Jesus. This Thomas disciple spoke up. Had to be Thomas. And he said, Lord, we we don't even know where you're going. How could we know the way? And he said, For I am the way, and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am, he's saying, the redemptive intermediary between sinful man and holy God. I am the one bridge, the unique bridge, fashioned by God himself, of God himself, to make that crossing. He said, In my Father's house, are many rooms, many, how many have heard of many mansions? How many of you like mansions better than rooms? I mean, you're going to go to heaven and I, could I get a room or, <laughs> could I, thank you, Charlie, uh, or I'd like to be shown to my mansion now. <laughs> you ready? The Greek word is rooms. Actually, it's worse than that. It's compartments. <laughs> In my father's house are many compartments <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know i've got a mansion just over the hill am i on my own here yeah i'm on my own we have these grandiose thoughts about how heaven is going to be about us and so surely i've got a mansion now heaven is going to be a wonderful place filled with glory and a lot of songs But it's not going to be about where you park your car. (laughs) It's not going to be about how big your garage is. We're going to get to that in the series. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, to put this in context, which we like to do around here, right? This is Jesus talking in the last few days of his life. He's already in Jerusalem again. He's about to say some very important things. He's already washed the feet of the disciples. He's getting ready to die. He's in Jerusalem for the Passover. When you're in Jerusalem for the Passover, everything is about the temple. And so when he said, in my father's house, people would have immediately went, temple are many rooms. Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 15, 16, in that area, it talks about, the prophet Ezekiel talks about a time coming when the temple would be made perfect and only the undefiled priests would be able to be in the temple. And the concept was that they would have rooms in the temple. That they wouldn't be people who went home at night. But these, if you look at Ezekiel 44, you'll see that there's a comparison between the priests who are kind of in it for the money and the priests who are in it because their heart belongs to God. And these are called undefiled priests. And these priests would have, it was prophesied, would have a place in the temple. 
a room. So that the temple would be expanded, if you will, to these compartments where these priests would live. And the dwelling of God would be with them. You getting this? Because the dwelling of God was in every way believed to be in the temple. And so the prophecy that was uttered by Ezekiel was talking about a day when those would not only be, you know, they wouldn't be distant and come and visit God in the temple, but the dwelling of God would be with them, and they would be with him, and they would be undefiled. Now, some of you are feeling this, aren't you? Now, he gave this prophecy, and as we are so inclined to do as people, we like to interpret back to God his prophecy, right? How many? Anybody been guilty of that? I certainly have. Get a word from God. Here's what you meant by that. (laughs) Surprise. Okay. So they had this concept that there was going to come a day when this revision of the temple would happen. In reality, I mean, Jesus, he turned everything over, didn't he? I mean, I wonder if anybody was catching on when listening to him. I wonder if he's really talking about the temple. Because everything he seems to say seems to violate our concept of what we thought it was going to be. You've heard it said, I say, but I say. And Jesus was beginning to talk not about a temple in Jerusalem, but he was talking about the temple of heaven, the temple of God, where we'll see in another week, where God will be with them and people will dwell with God and you won't go away and come back and you will have a compartment as an undefiled person in the temple because of the blood of Jesus. Because your high priest makes you undefiled by his blood. So he said, in my father's house are many places for you. He said, I'm going, look, he said, I'm going to make a place for you. Now, how many of you picture Jesus the carpenter with his tools? Eh, there's Chester and Marie's donk. I think they'd like this, a little bit of this, a little gingerbread up here. Come on. I go to, he's going there to prepare a place for you in the eternal temple... By his blood. By, he's making a way for you. That makes another kind of sense, doesn't it? He's making a spot for you. But the reality is, Jesus said there is a heaven. He said so. Second, because Jesus showed us so. What did Jesus do after he died? He didn't stay dead. Ta-da! And he died on a cross one time, very dead, laid in a tomb three days, rose from the dead, spent 40 days freaking people out. That's what he did. (laughs) Uh, Now, Jesus didn't mystically rise. He didn't rise as a ghost. He bodily rose. He physically rose. He ate with them. He said, go ahead, touch me. Now, that creates a new problem. What do you do with somebody who's died and now they're alive again? When, what do you do with somebody when death can't touch them? There has to be a place for them, right? Jesus showed us. He told us, he showed us, and Jesus told the apostles to tell us that there's a heaven. The Bible, this Bible, is called the inspired word of God because God made it say exactly what he wanted it to say, and because of that we can have profound confidence. And he told Paul 
In several places, Paul spills his guts and says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. That's one. Peter, John, on and on. The book of Revelation described heaven, got to see it. For these reasons, I know that we can have confidence that there is a heaven. There's a heaven after this. Yep. Last heartbeat isn't the end of life. It's the end of the body, but it's not the end of life. It's the end of this old tent, but it's not the end of life. Why would God make a heaven for you? Well, because he loves you. (laughs) Because he loves you. No, he loves you. You can't argue with God. You don't get to decide if God loves you. You don't get to decide who loves you. If they say they love you, you don't. No, you don't. No, you can't. Yeah, you don't get a vote. God loves you. But also because God created himself in his self-design, he created himself for relationship. I mean, he created himself as a trinity, and he created himself for relationship. So the object of your creation is to have relationship with God. We saw that in Genesis, right? And it was disturbed by the fall, but redeemed by Jesus. So there's a heaven. And it's there because he loves you, and he wants to have relationship with you. So where are you going after this? Where are you going after this? Bob Evans. <laughs> where are you going after this? Are you sure? The bottom line answer to the Bible or the Bible gives us is absolutely yes, there's a heaven. That heaven is a place of blissful paradise being prepared for those who are active recipients of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. This is the most basic answer that I can give to the question, is there really a heaven? I realize that doesn't answer all of your good questions about heaven. Some of your good questions about heaven are, well, then will people of other religions get to go to heaven? Some of your questions are, well, what about people who never hear about Jesus? Will they have a chance to go to heaven? Those are very good questions. And the Holy Spirit wants to give you the answers to those questions from the Scriptures. But we can't really try to answer the questions, well, what about them, until you answer a more fundamental question, and that's what about you? I think sometimes people use the other question as a smokescreen to try to hold off the big question, well, what about you? That's real good that you care about everybody else on the earth. I can tell by the way you're living your life. But what about you? Are you an active recipient of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ? That's that's who goes to heaven. I've read the Bible from Genesis to Maps, and I know that that's who goes to heaven. Those who are active recipients. Active recipients in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Are you an active recipient? An active participant? in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. I did not ask you, did you one day pray a prayer to ask Jesus Christ into your life? I did not ask you, did you one day sign a card? That's important. I don't want to minimize that. I'm asking you, are you continuing to be an active dependent of Jesus? An active recipient of the redemptive work of Christ. This is meant to be an ongoing reality. Otherwise, it's religion. It's empty religion. If you're depending on something that once happened, I checked the box, doesn't mean that much to me now, going through the motions, coming, singing the song, paying my tithe. 
going to home group. Why? Are you an active recipient, an active participant in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross historically for you once and for all, but his blood continues to speak? And is that speaking blood a living reality in your life? Please say it is. I didn't ask you if you're living a sinless life. You don't have to live a sinless life to go to heaven. That's good news, eh? Because none of us will live sinless lives this side of heaven. But are we dependent on the redemptive work of Jesus? Are we active participants in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ? That Jesus paid that price. Well, how would I know? Well, what's happening on the inside? Is there something happening? Do you have a... Are, are you... Are you uh, occupied with the concept of God? Do you desire to know him? Are you pressing in? Is your concept of the world around you changing? Is your love for the poor changing? Is your, is your sense of critical judgment of others diminishing? Are you finding more grace for others? This is evidence that the Holy Spirit is living in you and that you're, you're an active participant in the redemptive work of Christ. Are you, are you eager to worship God? I mean, are you eager to come into his presence and in your own way, from your own space, present your heart to God in a time of worship? This is indication that you are an active participant in the redemptive work of Jesus. So that's the question. I think another way to think about it is, are you right now actively looking forward to the fact that we are going to go to the table of Jesus? I mean, this can be one of two things. This could be nothing to you, or this could be everything. And there's no really any place in between. This could be, oh, is it that Sunday of the month again when we do the little thing and the thing? I understand how people get there. I understand that. I don't mean to trivialize that. But I'm saying that's an indication that Jesus is not alive in you. Jesus said, This is my body broken for you this is my blood shed for you are you expecting something to happen when you take this stuff today are you expecting to somehow meet with god when you take this stuff today that's an indication that you're an active recipient in the redemptive work of jesus we have four tables set up two in the front and two in the back and in just a moment, we're going to begin to sing. And as we do, you can come to these tables. And you can come and you can take a piece of the bread and a cup. And you can go back to your seat. And w- would you do me this favor? Just hold on to it and say, God, I would like to meet you today in this. I would like to meet you in this. But there's one more stop I'm going to offer to you. Pastor Tony is going to be standing right by this door over there. He's on his way right now. And Pastor Tony will be there for anybody who says, you know what? I never have prayed that prayer. Or I need to pray that prayer. I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life. I need to begin participating in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And Pastor Tony will be standing over there and he'll just wait. And however many of you want to go over there while others are going to the table... He'll happily pray with you.
to ask Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord so that you can begin the active relationship with Him and have the assurance beyond any doubt that since you're now 2,000 heartbeats closer to when we started talking to the one that will be your last, that when your last one comes, you will be able to lay claim to the truth In my Father's house are many mansions that he's gone there to prepare a place for you and you'll be able to lay claim to the truth that now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So Lord, we invite you to come now in these acts of worship, in this time of response to you, in the powerful truth that you clearly said, if it were not so, I would have told you. You said, I know this bothers you. But I'm telling you the truth. There is a heaven after this. A place of paradise. The eternal presence of God. And we just pray now, Father, that you will come now and you will fulfill your heart for us as we've gathered. For those who are ready to come to you and ready, suddenly aware, somehow awakened to the reality that they need to come to Jesus, we pray for them, Lord. And I pray for every believer now who's saying... Whatever they're saying in their heart, Lord, I pray that you'll meet them there. And I pray that this bread and this cup will be something living and active and powerful. Because we come to you now in anticipation of meeting with the God who came and died and rose again for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.